Hey, this is Rudy Fernandez from Creative Outhouse. Coming up on this episode of Marketing Upheaval is a great discussion with Alicia Thompson. Alicia has such brilliant insights, and maybe it's because she's worked in PR and advertising. She's been on client and agency sides, and she's worked for big companies. She's worked for small companies. In fact, she had so much fantastic insight, we had to make this two episodes. In this first episode, we talk about how some old brands are reinventing themselves. We talk about the new world for crisis managers and women leadership in the industry and what it takes to be a great leader. Welcome to Marketing Upheaval. You're listening to Marketing Upheaval from Creative Outhouse. This is Rudy Fernandez from Creative Outhouse, and my guest this episode on Marketing Upheaval is Alicia Thompson. She's been in leadership roles at Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, the Coca-Cola Company, Edible Arrangements, and also for Edelman, Porto Novelli. If anyone has a complete view of marketing spectrum, it's Alicia. So thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So what do you think are the biggest changes going on here in the last five or 10 years from your point of view? There are a couple, I think. First of all, I think it's the blurring of discipline lines. Like when I started in this you know, so many years ago, PR was PR and advertising was advertising and digital was a blip in somebody's dream world. Like, you know, um, and then there was the creative side. And what we found in the last few years is the lines between all of those disciplines has even blurred more than they had started to maybe 15 years ago. It's just marketing communications now. And there are no specific lanes to swim in. Everybody that works in this area has to be somewhat knowledgeable about all things. Yeah. So and I've, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah I've seen, uh, we work with ad agencies, we work with PR agencies, but I've seen where there are ad agencies doing PR activations, there are PR firms doing Absolutely. videos. <laughs> uh, they have to, to stay competitive. Yeah. So, so where does that go? I mean, at, at what point does it become just one marketing agency? I think it has already started to do that. When I was at Edelman, we had a very robust and we're investing a lot of money in our creative shop and hiring talent and going after creative-led business and then, you know, buttoning on PR and other communications functions. We had a digital team. We had a full, robust digital team. We had a social team. That was all completely separate from PR, which is where Edelman has its roots. So I think agencies and in-house teams, actually, the lines are becoming more blurred. I think other things that are changing or have changed in the space is innovation, because we have to constantly innovate in listening tools and how we measure clients want to make sure that their investments have an ROI. And I think technology, the technology and the resources and the tools that this industry can use to prove its value has just grown exponentially as well. It's constant. It is constant. Everything's being automated now. Absolutely. Um, This podcast will be automated. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you've worked with a lot of consumer brands and their, of course, audience fragmentation is probably the reason everything is changing. Where we get our information, our entertainment, news, it's all, it changes by the nanosecond. How do you engage brands? How do they engage with consumers now? I think consumer brands are doing a much better job and continue to evolve the customer experience that they, the consumer experience that they create and the engagement sources. So before it was just having a really cool website. And then when social and digital got hot, then it was around content. Um, but not 
content just to push out. It's content that engages a conversation with the consumer. And so I think it's extremely important and you'll see a lot of good consumer companies that do this. They have truly embraced the idea of the consumer owns the brand and they are allowing consumers to help them define what the brand means to them, how they want to interact with it and how to engage with them. It's interesting you say that. Are you familiar with Wendy's and what they're doing on Twitter? Yes. So my question, and this is, I was having this conversation yesterday. So Wendy's is a very wholesome brand. You think mm-hmm. of Dave Thomas and, you know, it's a very wholesome brand. And then you go to their Twitter account and it's this, uh, it's very funny, but they trash McDonald's mm-hmm. and, and other brands actually go onto the site just so Wendy's could trash them. How do you have those two different personalities. How, how did, I mean, is that, that's working for them? Do you think? It is working for them. I mean, you see their engagement numbers on Twitter and oh, yeah. how people truly, truly want to be a part of that dialogue. I think what Wendy's has done, this is my humble opinion, they've taken that wholesome, you know, good Americana kind of persona and they've embraced it in their food. They still talk about their hamburgers are made fresh every day in store and things like that. But the consumer mindset, their consumer base has shifted as well, too. I mean, Dave Thomas was 40 years ago, right? The consumer that's coming to Wendy's now and the consumer that they're trying to attract is millennial and younger. Um, They're competing with the Arby's, which is all about meats. And they took a turn, too. I mean, Arby's was very traditional. And now they're all edgy and and meat-based. And so I think there is a place for consumer brands to live in two worlds as long as it is authentic to who they are at their core. And I would think that Wendy's brand essence would be something that's wholesome, but irreverent. You could put those two words together. We know who we are. We know what we stand for. We embrace our history and our heritage, but we also can be fun and irreverent and joke about the brand. So they're doing it right, Mm -hmm. you think? And so who do you think, what are some mistakes you see out there, common mistakes? Oh, boy. So I have a real challenge with IHOP, IHOB, and then whatever the next iteration they're about to, they've been teasing that they're going to come out with. You know, it's the International House of Pancakes. That's what we've all known it as. And though they got lots of buzz and coverage when they went to IHOB, it wasn't sustainable. I mean, it was like a flash in the pan. And then they did go back to IHOP and now they're teasing another brand transition. But you know, if you're going to do something like that, it's got to be something that's sustainable and not really a flash in the pan. And it's got to be something to your point about Wendy's that's consistent with who you are and what your heritage is. I have to say that when, when they did announce IHOB, Wendy's had a wonderful response. Yes. It's, they said, they, they said, uh, can't wait to taste a burger from somebody who thought pancakes were too complicated. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, it, I think it's interesting that Companies, consumer brands will see someone else do something and think it's very clever and try to replicate it. But if it's not authentic to who you are, that replication doesn't really fly. Uh, A lot of your career has been uh, crisis communications, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, What is going right on that? I mean, it's funny. Here's why I ask. We're in a situation in marketing and really our world that is in constant upheaval. Mm -hmm. How do you define a crisis now? Because given the political uh, climate, given the crisis sort of people go, eh, like that, I think. What's what's an actual crisis now look like? So 
a few things have changed in the crisis world over the, the tenure of my career. Um, 24-hour news cycle. We didn't have that way back when. We didn't have social media where things can live forever. Yeah. And we didn't have user-generated content with everybody that has a cell phone that has that record video and photos. So from a crisis perspective, I think the reason people just, yeah, whatever, is because it's become so rote. You know, everybody has a picture. Everybody has a video of something that someone did wrong and they put it up and then it lives for the 24-hour news cycle and then it goes away. But the problem is for corporations, especially, that moment lives forever and can be refound and rediscovered and regurgitated time and time again whenever an issue arises. So one and I, a dear friend of mine is the corporate communications person, so I hate to say this, but American Airlines is one that just finds themselves in this cycle every time an incident happens on a flight. And the last 20 incidents are brought back up and compared their response is compared to the response of the last one and the response of the last one. And so, you know, crisis communications today still has the same formula for how you manage it. But the problem is a company's reputation can be destroyed in a 30 second clip now. Whereas years ago, it took a lot longer for it to destroy, to be destroyed. And it takes a lot longer now. To rebuild it. So those people that are specifically in the crisis comms world, their job is much, much tougher. Is it more preventative, you think? I think crisis communications has evolved a bit to manage it better, but I don't know if it's reached the levels that it needs to be to really manage those types of situations. You also have celebrity CEOs now, Mm -hmm. whereas you didn't have that before. Their life, their personal lives are as exposed as the things that are going on with their companies. And I just think with the proliferation of people with cell phones and and whistleblowers and things like that, just the amount of content around bad behavior that is out there now that was never seen before makes the job of crisis managers that much more difficult. And for leadership teams to get on board because most leadership teams are a little slower to react sometimes because they're yeah. weighing the pros, the cons, the the impact to the shareholders, the impact to the stakeholders, which they should be doing. But sometimes in this day and age, the response needs to be a little quicker. Yeah, I'm surprised at what we consider bad behavior now. So now I see like maybe a company will be under investigation by the Justice Department mm-hmm. and their stock doesn't change a bit. Nope. May even go up. But, you know, you do something that is is more personal mm-hmm. like american airlines yeah. mistreat a customer yeah. or or if there's if there's a, a starbucks a, the, the the whole racist yeah. thing that happened then that's a, that's a lot more important to people Absolutely. than than you know getting violating some sec rules yeah porter novelli just did a, a, a report actually just got a copy of it i haven't looked at it thoroughly yet um about how important values are mm-hmm. to the marketplace to consumers and across all stakeholder groups, it is like one of the most important things that they look for in companies. So to your point, how you treat a consumer and a guest experience speaks to your values. And so that's really important to people. And so it have an impact. So um, I want to talk to you about women in communications. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I've been in marketing, advertising, and some in PR, and it's mostly women. Yep. 
mostly women, however, not in leadership roles. It's mostly uh, women in sort of middle. Is it changing? There's been a concerted effort, especially on the agency side. Most of the big agencies had initiatives to have at 50% of their leadership as women by X date. But I think other than maybe a a Barbie Siegel and a couple of others, you don't see a lot of women running large major agencies. You have a lot of midsize agencies that women are running. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I would guess that a lot of women went out and started their own agencies because they saw a glass ceiling for themselves in the larger agencies. So, you know, I think we've made strides, but still, if you walk into any PR or a lot of advertising classes at any university, the majority of the students are women. So we can see that that trend is going to continue. And I just think as long as the concerted effort has continued to be a focus, we can continue to make strides. But I still think there's a lot of room for improvement. I know you've mentioned that you learned a lot from Cheryl. Mm -hmm. Batchelder. Batchelder, who was the CEO of Popeyes. Mm -hmm. And you saw how she managed to lead in a male-dominated world. Can you talk a little about that? What did you learn from her? Yeah, Cheryl's an amazing leader. She um, came into a system as the first female CEO. And the guys were like, we don't want a girl CEO. You know, like, how is she going to know the business? But she, super smart. And she taught me a few lessons. One, always know your data points. Always know your information. It's just hard for somebody to argue with you being a woman if you know what you're talking about. Care about your team. Because if you if they don't see that you care about them, they won't give you 100% of themselves. And she lived honesty and integrity. Like if she made a mistake, she owned it. If we made a mistake, she held us accountable for it. And she was just one of those leaders that you would go into the fire for because you knew she'd go in the fire with you. And so she was an amazing leader. She's still a big mentor in my life. I still text her and email her. She's the interim CEO at Pier One right now. But she is most of the people, I would say pretty much the majority of the people that have had the opportunity to work with her, still follow her, still stay connected to her, still seek out her advice and her wisdom. So your newest endeavor is Signature Leadership. Yes. Well, I'm going to go back to Cheryl, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to ask you, because you've learned a lot from her. So tell me about that. Mm-hmm. And then some things you employ from maybe you, that, that you've learned from her. Yeah. So signature leadership is something that I've kind of always had in my hip pocket that I wanted to do. I've had the wonderful opportunity to work with some amazing senior level executives. But what I've always wondered and struggled with and watched was those folks at the director level about to be vice presidents or those newly minted vice presidents that are trying to figure out what kind of leader they are or want to be. And they don't, nobody ever helps them, right? Um, And so they struggle when they figure it out or they read leadership books and they have their little checklist. Okay, if I do these 10 things, I'm a leader. And I was like, God, if somebody would just step in, like if they had a resource that could help them to figure out what their authentic leadership is, what feels right to them, but it shows that they are good leaders, that would be fantastic. And so my tagline is your leadership as unique as your signature, because it should be who it should be all about who you are and what makes you tick. But that doesn't keep you from being a good leader. Yeah, no, I, I learned that over many, 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 many years the hard way. I, I became 
a creative director when I was, uh, I think, 27 or 28 years old mm -hmm. because I think everybody else had quit and I was the only <laughs> one who could still walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> and they said, do you want to be the creative director? And I was like, no. <laughs> Those are the people we make fun of. Yeah. And uh, the, the money was much better. So I said, okay. Okay. <laughs> and uh, boy, I was terrible. And then it took over time. Yeah. Called, I called every creative director I knew and, and asked him for my help. And I'll tell you, a friend of mine named Matt, who was a creative director at the time, he just left me a message when I'd left him a message. Mm -hmm. He said, it just said, welcome to my hell. And he laughed and he hung up. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm more comfortable with it yeah. uh, because it's been many, many years. But yeah, I would have loved something like this because I, I don't know. They just said, hey, guess what? You're in charge. Yeah. Okay. And and it's when you get that first group of people that you actually manage. Nobody ever teaches people how to manage people. So that was, you know, something that always resonated with me was to be able to do that. And, you know, Cheryl's leadership was important in helping me kind of frame all of that in my head. So what are some tactics and what are some things, some leadership tactics? I mean, I want to give away your stuff for free. Yeah, but yeah. Yes. <laughs> what are some good leadership tactics that you, you could share? Yeah, I think... One of the most important ones that I have gleaned over the years is truly listening. Like, keep your mouth shut sometimes. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. Lord knows you probably shouldn't be the smartest person in the room. But listen, because good leaders can take the ideas of five different people and help them bring them to that one salient idea that is the solution that you were looking for. But if everybody's too busy trying to get in their word and nobody is sitting back listening and synthesizing it all, you may miss a really great idea that's a combination of all of them. So listening is really important. Second of all, I think is really, really being in the moment when you're with people. Cheryl was the CEO of a, you know, of, of a very large company with 1,200 franchisees. And when you sat in her office and talked to her, she was in do not disturb mode. Her assistant knew don't knock on the door unless it's a crisis and the building's burning down. She never had her cell phone. She had a pen and a paper and she was listening to you and she was capturing notes and she could feed back what she heard. And that makes the person that you're with feel that what they have to say is important. So really being engaged in the moment. And I think finally, just being someone that has integrity and can be trusted. Sure. You know, if you tell your team as the leader, I got your back, we're in this together, don't throw them under the bus the first chance you get or when things get heated and say, well, I told so-and-so to do X. You know, so I think those are like three really important things. And when you're coming up, those early years, you're an independent contributor. It's all about what you say, what you do, how you perform. So you're all about me, 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 me. To be make that transition to leader, it has to be about other people. And Cheryl used to have a really good line. She said, I have to know you to grow you. Because importance for her was that she actually developed leaders. And I have another great quote that says, you're not a leader until you've created someone else that's a leader who's created someone else who's a leader and so on. That's and so wonderful. I think it's really important that we be focused on not necessarily on ourselves, but on our team collectively because all boats rise. That's fantastic. You know, it's funny you say that about being present. Mm -hmm. For per I've heard that over and over again from people who who say, well, I admire this leader because when you're with that person, you just feel, and I'm trying to figure out what that is <laughs> and trying to learn that myself. It's, it's hard. I mean, it's hard when you've got 15 people pulling at you mm -hmm. to carve out an hour 
to be focused solely on that one person, but the return on that hour invested in that person's concerns, their high fives. It's so, the ROI on it is amazing. So that's the thing right now, because everybody, we're all torn in Mm -hmm. a million directions. You get emails and your Slack and your, you know, your texts and your phone. And and everybody's always worried about the very next thing they have to do. Yes. We don't live in the moment. No. We live 15 minutes ahead. Uh, eight seconds. That is, that is the, that is, eight seconds is, uh, what's it, the detention span Yeah, of the average American. So you got to get them in eight seconds. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. It is. But I also know that that's probably long if we're thinking about me. Uh, (laughs) so, so I, I just wonder how, how does that aspect change what we do in terms of how we reach people? Yeah. I mean, the attention span of the people that we're trying to communicate to and talk to and engage and get them to buy our products and services, like, you know, fast forward and skip through commercials and, you know, two seconds on a Facebook ad, it drives this intensity for marketers to constantly come up with that two to three second gotcha and it puts a lot of pressure on creatives because they're the ones that are having to, you know, kind of do that. Sure. And, and it's like, how do you get into the psyche unless you're really narrow in your audience? You're trying to grab the attention of five different demographics in those first three seconds. How you talk to a 17-year-old male and a 45-year-old mom of three is completely different. And the mom of three has got the same distractions because she's got three kids pulling on her skirt as a 17-year-old boy who's like just trying to get to his next video game play. It makes it extremely challenging to be a marketer in this day and age. And I don't see it getting any easier. No, and you have to you have to play off things that already exist. Absolutely. Uh, And the problem with that is it's hard to introduce something brand new. Yes. Because everybody's looking for something that appeals to them. Yes. Specifically. Yes. So so back in the old days, back (laughs) in the old days, whatever, reading a magazine or watching television or listening to a radio show Mm -hmm. and a commercial would come on for something you knew nothing about. And it might be something you're interested, maybe not. Yeah. But now it has to be something that I already like. Yeah. And and another thought to that is this whole use of influencers influencer marketing. And so you pick the right influencer there. They have a lifespan of about, you know, 30 days or so. And then everybody's moved on to the next influencer in their life. But if you pick a bad one, you know, your, your word of mouth can go from a hundred to two and like overnight, if one bad thing happens to your influencer. So influencer marketing is another big game changer for what we do. And there are all kinds of challenges that go along with that, too. If you think of it, an influencer is just someone who filters all the content. Mm-hmm. So you try to find someone who maybe lines up with your opinions yep. about whatever. And and so you read that person other than reading everything in the universe right. about that subject. Absolutely. So so it's really a, they're sort of aggregators and filterers. And you just fi- find the one that's I finally realized why they're they're so popular, actually. <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to Marketing Upheaval from Creative Outhouse. If you'd like to learn more about how to train the next generation of leaders at your company, contact Alicia Thompson. Her email is athompson at signatureleadershipllc.com. For show notes, previous episodes, and previews to upcoming episodes, visit us at creativeouthouse.com slash podcast. And if you like this podcast, please give us five stars, subscribe, and share it with others. And that's it for this episode of Marketing Upheaval.
Remember, if the current state of marketing has got you confused, don't worry, it'll all change. See ya.